We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for your goodness to us. You have been kind in keeping and preserving us, sustaining us in all our way, uh, preserving and governing us uh, in all our actions. We thank you that you have continued to uphold us in your faithfulness. Uh, who is like you, Lord, among the gods? You who created the heavens and the earth. We now gather this evening to worship you. And we pray that you may be with us as we, as we study your word together. Uh, even though we be few, we pray that you may grant us the warmth of fellowship that believers have. We ask that your name may be glorified in our midst. And we pray that um, we may be edified with all that we will be considering. Uh, please glorify yourself in, in our study this evening. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is anyone that knows the whereabouts of Felista? Open your copies of the Confession, chapter twenty, chapter thirty. Chapter thirty of the Lord's Supper. Last time, we considered. Paragraph 1. Um, today we will consider paragraph 2. But then this, this chapter has been written as the last of the four chapters. Five chapters actually which deal with ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. So chapters 26 through to chapter 30 deal with the whole matter of the church. We considered chapter 26, which is the largest of them all, uh, and entails most of what it means to, to, to us as a church. We, we saw paragraphs 1 to 4 dealing with um, the universal... Uh, body of Christ, Universal Church, paragraphs 5 to 15 of chapter 26, dealing with the, uh, the matter of the local church. Then we came to paragraph, uh, chapter 27, and there we saw the fellowship that believers have with one another. And then with paragraphs 28 to, to 30, dealing with the whole matter of the ordinances or the sacraments, as they are called. And Chapter 28 generally deals with the whole matter of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then chapter 29 comes to the specifics of, the, uh, of baptism. And then chapter 30 deals with the specifics of the Lord's Supper. Last time we considered paragraph 1 and we saw a couple of things there. Generally, the institution of the Lord's Supper. We saw that the Lord's Supper... Uh, is of the Lord Jesus Christ because it was instituted by him. He owns it. He instituted this on the night wherein he was betrayed. As he was going to be executed, uh, he instituted, or just before he was executed, he instituted the supper so that it may be, as we are going to see today, a memorial of his death to remember his 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 crucifixion. We also saw that this supper that has been instituted by our Lord is to be observed not by the state, not by families, not by individuals, but by the church. So that's what we read there. 
to be observed in his churches. And churches there is, 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 is a, uh, uh, an acknowledgement that the universal body of Christ, which is invisible for the most part, is seen through the local churches. And so the, we do not observe the Lord's Supper generically or, uh, uh, in other words, as though uh, simply because we are Christians individually, we observe it where, wherever and whenever we please. We're told there that it's to be observed in his churches. It's to be observed unto the end of the world that we may continuously, perpetually remember what Christ did, the sacrifice of himself in his death. We saw there that we do this so that we may confirm our faith and that we may incur the benefits that come with it, that we may be nourished spiritually, that we may grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we observe the Lord's Supper. We saw that we do this so that we may be reminded of our Christian duties, that we may be reminded to repent of our sins, that we may be reminded of all the responsibilities that we have as Christians, even this one that we call the Lord's Supper. And then we saw lastly there that we observe this, that it may be a bond and pledge of our communion with Jesus Christ and with each other. We observe this so that we may show that we are in fellowship um, not only with Jesus Christ, but also with one another as Christians. So today, we will consider paragraph 2. I'm going to read the paragraph and then we will consider it together. Paragraph 2. In this ordinance... Christ is not offered up to his Father, nor any real sacrifice made at all for the remission of sin of the quick or dead, but only a memorial of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross once for all, and a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same, so that the popish sacrifice of the Mass as they call it, is most abominable, injurious to Christ's own sacrifice, the alone propitiation for all the sins of the elect. Again, in this ordinance, Christ is not offered up to his Father, nor any real sacrifice made at all for remission of sin, of the quick or dead, but only a memorial of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross once for all, and a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same, so that the popish sacrifice of the Mass, as they call it, is most abominable, injurious to Christ's own sacrifice, the alone propitiation for the sins of the elect. I'd like to now give you an opportunity to interact with that uh, to, to interact with that paragraph before I venture into uh, teaching a bit on, on its its content. What what do you what pops out as you read that paragraph or as you hear it? Anything? Mm-hmm. 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 
Yeah, yeah, okay. Anything else? So what we have in this paragraph is the nature of the Lord's Supper. So in the first paragraph, we considered the institution of the Lord's Supper. In this paragraph, we have the nature and substance of the Lord's Supper. We're told there that in this ordinance, Christ is not offered up to his Father. So you have two things. You have a negative uh, uh, connotation and a positive one. In the negative, we're told what the Lord's Supper is not. And then in the positive, we're told what the Lord's Supper is. So in the negative, we're told in this ordinance, Christ is not offered up to his Father. And you realize that there is a certain mysticism that can be attached to the Lord's Supper where we, where we, where we are prone to think or believe that you know there is there is a there is a sacrifice of Christ that is happening again, or people are prone to to take this as as though to mean that Christ is you know my sins are being atoned for when the Lord's Supper is being served, but the writers of the confession are very clearly here saying. Or reminding us that in the Lord's Supper, we are not sacrificing Jesus Christ. He is not offered up to his Father again. There is no real sacrifice made at all for the remission of sin. The sacrifice that Jesus Christ made upon the cross was, was made once. It was made once and for all. So in this ordinance, Christ is not offered up to his Father. There is... There is no real sacrifice made at all for the remission of sin. Of the quick or the dead. The quick there are the living. The living or the dead. But only a memorial. So you see the negative statement there is that Christ is not offered up to his father. The positive is but only a memorial of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross. So in the negative we see that Christ cannot be offered up again. It can't mean that Christ is given up to his father all over again. Now, the Catholics are at fault here. Uh, they are in error because they are constantly uh, saying or conducting the mass, as they call it, as though Jesus Christ is being offered 
all over again. We're going to see this. Uh, we're going to see this even more later on as we consider the other paragraphs. But when I was young, I had a friend of mine who used to go to to a Catholic church. As a Roman Catholic, his family was Roman Catholic. And so, you know, their services happen very early in the morning, uh, what they call the mass. And so, when we, every time we used to go there, or sorry, every time he used to go there with his family, they, they used to take the, the, the bread, or I can't remember now what they call it. What do they call it? No, there's that thing that they take. They don't call it the bread. They have a name for it. But they used to they used to take it. And you know Catholics don't take the cup. The cup is only taken by priests. So they they line up and then they on end up pale, they are given that that circular uh, round thing. They they eat it. Is it the wafer? Maybe the wafer. They eat as they go. Now, my friend used to believe, and he was younger than me, and I was young. I was, I was in primary school. He used to believe that if you take that, because children had a tendency of taking that, uh, that kind of thing and putting it in the pocket. So they go with it at home. So he used to believe that if you do that, that that breadish thing will become blood. When you go to take it out of your pocket, once you get home, it will have turned into blood. And that's because they believe that Christ is offered up again. He's offered up to his father. That it's as though when they take the Lord's Supper, they are sacrificing, making a sacrifice for the remission of sin, forgiveness of sin. But this is a huge error because we know that Christ died once upon the cross. He rose again from the grave. He is never going to die again. That was done. The sacrifice was offered. And there is nothing more to be offered. And so we read there, but only a memorial of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross once for all. So what the Lord's Supper is not is it is not Christ being offered up to his father again. It's not a sacrifice being made or we making the sacrifice for the remission of sin again. What the Lord's Supper is, you told there is a memorial of that or a commemoration, a remembrance of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross once for all. For this, then, let's consider Hebrews chapter 9. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Someone read for us Hebrews 9, 25 to 28. So you see there that Christ has entered, he has entered into the holy place, holy place not made um, 
not made with hands, uh, but into heaven itself. That's what we read there in verse 24. And he has done this to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. This is what happens when he is being offered up. And then from verse 25, we're told there that it was not to offer himself repeatedly the way the Levitical priesthood used to work. You know, the, the, the priest in the Old Testament used to go into the holy place multiple times for the sake of the sins of the people. Wakisin, Christanangia. When they sin, the priest goes, the priest goes in multiple times. But then you're told here that uh, Christ did not go to the presence of God to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. And, and, and then a justification is given there in verse 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. If that's what Jesus was doing, going to the holy place multiple times, or over and over again, he would have had to continue to suffer or to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. And then you're told, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus entered into the, into heavens, into the heavens, the most holy place, once for all. When he came, he came to accomplish redemption for the sake of his people. And he did this to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So that phrase there, once for all, he has appeared once for all, is very important. So that when Jesus Christ appears the second time, he will come to uh, take his people home. That's what we read there in our confession that um, he's not being offered up otherwise he would have it would have happened continuously since the beginning of the world what is happening here is that um, uh, christ is being remembered in the lord's supper what we're doing when we gather together to break bread and to take the cup is we are commemorating it's only a memorial of that one offering up of himself, that once and for all that he offered himself um, upon the cross for our sins. Is there any question or comment there, interaction? Any, any interaction there? See, some of the practices that the uh, Roman Catholicism has or some of the practices that they have are extracted from the Apocrypha. You know the Apocrypha, those uh, extra-biblical books 
So they, they're going to justify some of the practices that they have with the apocrypha. But then a major reason why the apocrypha is not part of the scriptures is it's not consistent with the teaching of the scriptures. So, so that if you argue with a Roman Catholic, if they are, you know, if they have any knowledge of their extra-biblical sources, they will appeal to the Apocrypha for some of the practices that they have. But then, uh, you realize that the reason why the Apocrypha is not part of the canon, the, the biblical canon, uh, Genesis to Revelation, is because some of the things written in there are not consistent with the rest of the uh, biblical books. And, and that's, that's the same case for books like the Gospel of Peter or the Gospel of Thomas, which are uh, brought up by critics. I'm saying that to say that uh, it doesn't make sense to us because we believe the Bible to be the Word of God and the Word of God only. So it's off, right? When they, when they come up with their own... So if you ask a basic Christian where Roman Catholics got their idea, who reads their Bible, they're not, they've not read so many theological books, they will tell you they don't know where the Roman Catholics came up with their, with their idea that uh, Christ is offered multiple times. <clears throat> because the Bible very clearly says... That he is not. He was offered once and for all. So you're right there. I agree with you. It does not make sense. And in as much as it makes sense to them because of their extra-biblical sources, we refute their practices as erroneous uh, based on biblical information. Now, I had also wanted to say that this is precisely one of the reasons why Roman Catholicism is considered a cult. So that immediately you hear someone say, Yenim Kado, your discernment levels should be spiking. Hmm? In your mind, there should be that ding, 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 ding. This, this, is, this, this is an erroneous group, it's a, it's a cult where they believe that uh, Jesus is offered up many times. You can't go to Jesus direct. You have to pass through Mary um, and, and, and such kinds of... Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't even know what to call them. Such kinds of, of uh, beliefs that are outrageous. And you're going to see in the fourth paragraph, which you could read later on, they deny people the cup. You wonder, where did they get that practice? So I, I do agree with you there. It, it doesn't make sense. And any other comment or question? school I also had that believe that but when you're in anger, 
This is precisely why uh, Martin Luther, the German monk, was laboring to put the scriptures in the hands of the common people because uh, Roman Catholics, I don't know whether they've changed their view, but back then they believed that it's only the priests who can read the scriptures and it's only the church that interprets the scriptures. Uh, you and I are not allowed to take the scriptures and interpret them for ourselves. But then Martin Luther comes and says, but isn't this the word of God which is true that should be in the hands of all men? And so you see, if they, if they restrain people from reading the scriptures, then they can twist it however they please for their own ends. But if everyone has the Bible and it is laid open and we can see what the Bible says for ourselves, if someone says something that is contrary, we will, we will know. And that's what we have here. Uh, Christ is not offered up to his Father. There's no real sacrifice made at all when we gather for the Lord's Supper. We are not, we are not sacrificing Jesus all over again. What we are doing is we are, we are remembering. It's a memorial. We are remembering the sacrifice that Christ gave, that one offering up of himself when he died upon the cross, when he took the sins of the world. The Lamb of God was slain once and for all. Is there any other comment before we move on? Okay, and then we read there the last statement. And a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same. And a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same. Now we've, we've seen there that uh, there's a negative statement given that uh, what the ordinance is not, and we've seen that it's Christ's, not being offered up. Christ is not being offered up to his father again. And then the positive aspect of it is twofold. It's that we are remembering. It's a memorial of that one offering up of himself once for all. And it's also a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same. The word oblation there means offering. It's a spiritual offering. It's like a gift. It's a spiritual gift that we give, a gift of praise, an offering of praise unto God. So when we come for the Lord's Supper, if there is anything that is being offered, it's praise unto God for what Jesus Christ has done. That's what is being said there. So we, we, we see there that we are, number one, remembering. Uh, it's a memorial of that one offering up of himself by himself once for all. And then number two, it's an offering up of praise. It's a spiritual offering of all possible praise unto God for what Christ has done for the same. That statement there for the same is for, for the offering up of Christ once for all. So we are not only remembering, but we are also praising God which is a thing that I'd like to bring before, um, before, before the church on Sunday as we're taking the Lord's Supper. That when we are coming to the Lord's Supper, we're not only coming to confess our sins, to ask God to forgive us, and then taking the bread. While that, that is part of it, what we're doing when we come 
is that we are also giving thanks to God. It's that we are also praising God, lifting his name up because Christ was offered. As we remember what Christ did, as we confess our sins, as we uh, examine ourselves, we are also praising God for what Christ did, for the offering up of his son once for all. We, we will be offering a spiritual oblation. You can add a new, a new word to your vocabulary there. Spiritual offering of all possible praise unto God. If there is any praise that we can give to God, we give him. And, and we, we do it even as we come to the Lord's Supper. Let's read First Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 24, someone read verse 24 for us. And then in verse 25 we read that in the same way also he took the cup after supper. So you see that it is given or it is done, the supper is done in thanksgiving. The body, uh, which is symbolized by the bread, the blood, which is symbolized by the cup, is, they are all taken in thanksgiving. We are giving thanks to God for what Christ did for us. Let's read Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 26 and 27. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, you see there, similarly, the same, you know, similarly an aspect of thanksgiving. So that when we come to God, we are offering a, a spirit, it's a spiritual offering of praise unto God for what Christ has done for us. Now, so you have two aspects here. You have a negative aspect of the nature of the supper. The negative aspect is, is what? Let me see if you're following. What's the negative aspect of the nature of the supper? Yes. Yes, it's, it's not an offering up of Christ continuously. That's what we read there. In this ordinance, Christ is not offered up to his father, nor, is, nor any real sacrifice made at all for the remission of sin of the quick, or the dead. So negatively, the nature of the ordinance is that it's not continue it's not a continuous offering up of Jesus Christ unto his father for the forgiveness of the sins of either the living or the dead. Positively, there are two things. What are those two things that we have seen there? Positively. It's an offering up of praise. It's a spiritual oblation of all possible praise to God. Yes, the second, second thing. It's a remembrance. It's done as a memorial. It, it commemorates. So we read there, but only a memorial or that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross once for all. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is, it's a spiritual oblation, a spiritual, uh, it's an offering, spiritual offering of praise, all possible praise unto God for the same, for the offering up of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross, once for all. Okay, so with those two things, the negative and the positive, 
Lastly, the writers of the confession tell us that they tell us the, the, the effects of wrongly partaking of the Lord's Supper. Take, wrongly taking of the Lord's Supper the way the Roman Catholics do. So, so, so they say there, so that the popish sacrifice of the Mass, so, so that's the... That's the, the, you know, the way the Roman Catholics do it. The popish sacrifice of the mass, as they call it, is most abominable, injurious to Christ's own suffer, uh, sacrifice, the alone propitiation for all the sins of the elect. So you see there, the implications of wrongly taking the Lord's Supper. And the implications are, so, so if you could be asking uh, what the implications are, or wh- why is it a problem that, um, uh, why is it a problem that people wrongly say that it's continuously offering up of Christ? And the answer is granted us there. It's a problem because it is injurious to Christ's own suffering. In fact, they say that it is abominable. It is most abominable. It's, it's like an abomination. It's like saying uh, what Anto was saying. As though the sacrifice that Christ offered was not enough. That we need to constantly offer it over and over again. But that's not the case. It is injurious to Christ's own suffering. Uh, sorry, sacrifice. The sacrifice that Christ offered is injured when we do it as though it's a continuous offering up of Christ to his Father. So it is injurious to Christ's own suffering. That's the implication. When, when we view it as though Christ is offered up to his Father continuously, as though there is a real sacrifice made for the forgiveness of sin all over again, the sacrifice that Christ uh, made is attacked. Now go with me to John chapter 19. This is the text that I'd like to bring before you on Sunday, Sunday's Lord's Supper. John chapter 19 and verse 30. We read there that when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, he said what? It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When Jesus says that it is finished, it means that the debt of sinners has been paid. The mission that the Father sent him, uh, uh, sent him to accomplish has been accomplished. So it is finished. The sacrifice that was required for the forgiveness of sinners before the Holy God has been offered. It is done. There is no more need for any other sacrifices. Thus then we do not offer any more sacrifices of bulls, goats, lambs. We do not offer any more sacrifice of the Lord Jesus himself. So you see, when, when we, we think of it or when people do it as though they are offering up Christ to his Father all over again, big problem, right? It's a big problem because if we are not offering bulls anymore and, and goats anymore and lambs anymore, how then is it that we are offering Christ all over again? It's injurious to Christ's own sacrifice. It's abominable. It looks down on the sacrifice of the Son of God, the one who is called worthy in heaven, worthy to open the scrolls because because he died for the sake of his people and rose again on the third day. And they finish there by saying, the alone propitiation for all the sins of the elect. The alone propitiation for all the sins of the elect. 
And you know the meaning of the word propitiation? Do you? The word propitiation there means that it's the alone satisfaction of the wrath of God. Propitiation means to appease wrath, to satisfy anger. So because God is angry with the sinner, when Jesus Christ is sacrificed, when he is offered up, he satisfies the wrath of God. The wrath of God is appeased. When he uh, rises from the grave, it's as though God is saying, I am satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, you see, again, the implication of taking the Lord's Supper as though we are offering up Christ all over again. It's as though God is not appeased. It's as though God is not satisfied that we have to, and you know that that's why the the uh, uh, old covenant sacrifices had to happen over and over again. It's because they, they, they were not enough. They were, uh, they were not satisfying the wrath of God. And so then they had to be offered over and over and over again. But then the sacrifice that Christ has, has offered has satisfied God. God has, God has been pleased with it. Indeed, even when the Lord Jesus was here on earth, God the Father says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. He is already pleasing me. I am pleased with him because he is accomplishing the mission for which I have sent him. So when Christ is offered up, you know, as it were, over and over again in the, in the, in the, in the supper, that popish uh, sacrifice of the mass that the Catholics have, claiming to offer Christ all over again, they don't realize the implications of it. It's actually an abomination. It's, it's a terrible thing. It downplays the work of Christ upon the cross, the redemptive work that Christ has already accomplished, for which he has been received in heaven by all the angels, and especially by his Father. And so we, we don't want to, to take it like that. We want, to, we want to take it like this, to remember what he has done, that once-for-all sacrifice that he has given, we want to remember it. That's how we want to take it. And then we also want to, to take it as a spiritual offering of praise, thanksgiving to God, praise unto God, giving God all the praise because of what Christ has done. Is there any, any question or comment on that? Any more question or comment? So the sins of God's people are dealt with by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross is offered once and for all. Not twice, not thrice, once. And that once offering up of Jesus Christ satisfies God. That's why when we believe in Jesus, all our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. God is satisfied with the sacrifice of his son. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are only remembering and praising God for what he's done. If there is no more question or comment, I'd like to bring it to a close. No? Okay, let's, let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, we come to you 
We thank you for allowing us to be able to consider uh, a simple but profound matter that uh, the sacrifice of Christ was offered once for all. That when we take the supper, the Lord's supper, the nature of it is that we are remembering what he has done and we are also praising you for the sacrifice of your son. We pray that you may help us to understand these things. We come from different backgrounds with all sorts of uh, baggage in terms of the things that we had learned regarding these things. We pray that your word may be clear to us that we may rightly partake of the Lord's Supper. Please bless us as we as we continue to take the supper in our church and allow that we will take it rightly. Allow that as we continue to take it, this matter will be clearer and clearer in our minds to the praise and glory of your name. May we completely trust upon the sacrifice of Christ, the once for all sacrifice that Christ offered up for us. May we be completely assured that this is the alone propitiation for the sins of the elect, for our sins. That you have been satisfied by the sacrifice of Christ and may we trust upon it. Hear our prayers, Lord, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.